Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? I'm excited to be here today. Today, we got a cool guest to bring to all of our listeners. We're excited to share because we've both had experiences working and partnering with our guest today. Yeah. And it's raining here. So that just makes me happy. <laughs> we don't have any coziness here. I know. In Southern it's, California. Cali- it's like California problems. <laughs> Our guest today is Rochelle Plett. We have both been part of a course with Rochelle, but Rochelle, we want you to be able to talk to our guests a little bit more about you and your background. So why don't you tell the hotties a little bit more about you? Well, hello, hotties. Thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. So um, I'm Rochelle and I teach a course called Upholstery Uncovered. And I'm also a professional interior designer, but the way that I learned about upholstery construction is I owned an upholstery workroom that specialized in restoration of vintage seating. So I've seen a lot of good things and I've seen a lot of bad things. And I like to share that background with my design professional friends. And you are like the expert of the experts. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Thank you. I, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> so, yeah, last year when my other partner, Claire, and I were about to open our showroom here, we were like, okay, we need to like learn what we don't know and heard about your class and signed up for it. And it's just like been this wealth of knowledge also helping us communicate and describe quality differences. And I think as designers, we're always in that how do we dissuade clients from choosing retail? And I think that is really evident when it comes to upholstery and from a quality standpoint, we can, we'll talk more about that. But yeah, yeah your course is so helpful and you're, you break it down really simply because it is pretty, like it's pretty complex. It's not a cut and dry thing. It feels like a, a almost like a flow chart that if uh-huh. this, then that. So, and that's kind of the way I like to present it is the science of upholstery construction. So you understand the differences between like engineered hardwood, which is plywood, various plywoods, and then solid lumber. And what makes one better or different from another? Because, you know, you might have a client that doesn't need all of the things, but you might have a client that does. And you might think that this is one place to skim on upholstery construction and then come to find out that that's that's not going to suit your client and their long-term needs. So that's what I like to present in the course is just a real understanding of the facts as opposed to this vendor over that vendor. Because once you understand the construction methods, you can plug in and use whatever vendor works best for your business. Yeah, that was really frustrating in the beginning when we realized you weren't going to just tell us. But there's no yeah, like. Well, okay, okay, okay. So let me tell not you in a why bad way, but there's a reason. That. Yeah, you right. No, why. but the the reason, and we 
we really noticed that over COVID especially. So if anyone has tried to source upholstery over COVID times, you realize that manufacturers who may have been a favorite vendor for you, for you to work with, they, they may change their construction methods. They may change their management. They may make changes and tweaks. So what was once really a great company to work with because they kind of rested on their laurels may not continue to be, you know, mm-hmm. that way. Plus the other yeah. thing is if you're working with a really broad company who has a lot of different design styles in their their frame lineup, you're going to notice that they are constructed differently. So say for instance a, a really broad line they may have two or three frames in their lineup that are kiln dried hardwood with eight-way hand-tied coils, but then they may also have a modern style that doesn't have a deep enough rail to accommodate those coils. So you need to understand how is that piece made. So just because you want to look at one brand, that doesn't mean that the construction is the same across the board of that entire vendor. So that's why it's important. You need to learn how to read a spec sheet. And ask. That was a big takeaway. And like demand better spec sheets is really what I learned. Like there you they go. don't provide that information and it feels yes. sneaky sometimes. Like they're hiding things and there's these buzzwords that come to play, like like kiln dried hardwood, that they're not all created equal. Like pine is technically solid wood, but right. But it's not a hardwood. Right. Pine is technically a softwood. So you may see engineered or uh, kiln dried hardwood or kiln dried solid lumber. And if you see kiln dried solid lumber, then that is probably indicative that it's going to be a softwood. But I wouldn't be afraid of that because there are some softwoods that are denser than mm-hmm. some hardwoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that so you, like just you need goes to know back. the species. So you need to know. And then if they are doing that, are they helping with structure in another way. Um, and then the foam of it all is like the whole other part, which is mm-hmm. really the cushion major. construction. Yes. The tush nose, <laughs> the yeah. tush nose I mean, and the smush nose, like after yeah. like a year oh gosh, and divots just, in the bottom. Yes. Mm-hmm. So just like mm-hmm. this or the smushed back pillows. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's just helpful to even just as a reference, like I can't, retain all of that technical information like this is not how my brain works Mm -hmm. but having the reference and knowing like oh Rochelle told us about this let me come back well and then you the book comes with it so the the handbook is basically like a textbook so Mm -hmm. if you have a question you can go back to the book and hopefully you know during presentations you take notes and the as for something that resonates with you so it's it's your own little textbook (laughs) Good for you. Good for I you. In that all makes those me margins. happy. Like, I'm like, wait a minute about this. Reinforce this with someone and trying to find about, okay, how do I explain to clients? Like, is I feel like a lot of clients respond to the, is this a, how long will this last? And then yes. to be able to share like, okay, I'm going to give this lifespan on this sofa the way that you're telling me your family uses it. I'm giving it like a three-year lifespan the way that you're looking at this one versus another one that you want to last Mm -hmm. five to 10 years. And I feel like that frame of reference is something that really helps a consumer think about how they're spending their money because they're thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to spend 
$2,000 right now and it's going to last half as long if I spend, you know, 3000 plus on something. Or, you know, I think that's where it's less about paying attention to the, the price as the deciding factor and more about, okay, how much longevity am I getting? What's mm-hmm. the durability going to be like? Durability. Let that, like, let that push the... You know, then we find the price of what that is, but at least they know what am I trading off if I'm spending half right, the price? Right. What am I losing because of that? And I think a lot of designers we focus on like the look and the price when we're talking with clients, but I don't think we're getting into the this is gonna last you 15 years. Like this is gonna last right, you 10 years. Right. We don't talk about that for some reason. We don't. And we're designing rooms that that we hope are fairly timeless, or you know, many designers mm-hmm. enjoy saying that their designs are timeless as opposed to overly trendy. And if you're looking for a timeless room and you've created a space that, you know, your sofa is a very large element of that, you want to be able to have that piece last as long as the design around it. And we're always hearing that buzzword of, you know, performance fabrics. And so many of the more budget-friendly pieces, the fabric is going to outlast frame and mm-hmm. the cushions and yeah. construction. So, you know, if you're looking at a hundred thousand double rubs plus, and that thing is only slated to last, you know, three ish years, you're not going to utilize all of those double rubs. You've kind of overkilled your fabric. So I right. always like to encourage people to match the fabric durability and longevity mm-hmm. with the frame longevity. That makes sense. I mean- And most people, if they're really using, using, and I mean using a piece, you're going to see a good 12 to 15 years out of a piece. And by the time you're done with it, it's going to need reupholstered, which is a whole other conversation. But, you know, 12 to 15 years, you're usually tired of looking at the fabric anyway. You want something different. Yeah. Let alone if the frame, it, you might still like the shape of something, mm-hmm. but you might not love the fabric. And mm-hmm. then the cost of more fabric and reupholstery is often more than what someone paid for it. Sometimes it can be. I mean, if you factor in inflation, et cetera, but it can be the same price as your initial investment. But if you think of your ownership for upholstery over a lifespan, if you invest mm-hmm. in a good solid traditional piece and say you have 50 years of ownership, well, the price of that frame just went down because why would you spend, you know, I don't know, $1,500, $2,000 every three years over 50 years, not including yeah. inflation versus investing in one good piece. And then every 15, you know, let's just round it to a nice 12, every 12 years, reupholster it. So your cost per wear on that sofa just went way down over the, over a lifetime. Yeah. But it has to have the initial frame quality to start with. Exactly. It has to be worth it. You know, air quotes, worth it. <laughs> I and I think about this a lot with my I have a lot of clients with young kids and they're like, oh, I don't want to like I don't want to invest in anything in the sofa. But then if they get stuff that's really cheap, it's just it's gonna literally break. Like it will literally fall <laughs> apart when that when that child Superman lofts off the back yes. end and they don't uh-huh. realize that it's poor quality frame material. Yeah. And, you know, once they've ruined that and, and they've broken a frame strut, that piece is trash. So and, I think that's a short-sighted. Totally. And then I feel like there's also that period of time where people are living with something they hate for way too long. Mm-hmm. So they're not even enjoying their home for like 
several years because they just bought this. It's only a couple years old. I don't want to invest in a new thing or throw this one away. I just feel like it just compounds the problem over and over. Plus the waste. I'm sorry. I I just had a brain spurt while you were saying that. Do you know how much you spend on an iPhone every three years? I spend at least a thousand dollars they give me. Uh Like I get a brand new one every time. There you go. And we need to really start looking at it in a different frame of reference. I mean, I'm looking at this phone and I'm going, hey, I've only had this thing for three years and it is becoming a a technological piece of poop. So if if I equate my investment on something that I think is supposed to last a long period of time, your sofa is something that should be invested in, whether you're thinking of having it for five years or whatever. So I, I I kind of like to use that phone reference for, well, you spend $1,200 on a phone every couple of years. Why don't you want to invest at least that much value in something you're going to spend hours and hours and hours? I mean, they're sitting on their phone, on their sofa with their phone, right? Yeah. Exactly. Watching exactly. 10 hours of TV on a Saturday. like Exactly. Exactly. I- and yeah, because I always um, encourage clients to think about the things that are just really high use, high touch, like the things that you're physically touching and using, the cost per use goes way down. Like mm-hmm. buy a really nice mattress. I think most people realize that that's smart. Like you're spending half of your life in it, but the yeah. other half is kind of on your sofa. <laughs> like it should be good. <laughs> exactly. It totally is. Yeah. And it's just like dressing. So you want to invest in you know, a good pair of shoes, good handbag, nice coat, things you're going to have for years. The staples, the big pieces. The staples. Yes. Your sofa is a staple. Yeah. I just always have clients that are, they don't want to invest in things while they have kids. And Which is I, really backwards. I mean, I, do, I, a, I get it. Kids can be little tears. But if you're putting a performance fabric on it, one of those, like an inside out that basically, I mean, I have yet to see anything that doesn't come out of an inside out fabric. Gum, tar, oil, (laughs) grease, lipstick, lipstick, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think there should just be a movement of encouraging people not to live like animals. Like, (laughs) <laughs> that's a whole other soapbox Rebecca, I mean, but yes like do we have Should to we go like, there? have spaghetti proof sofas like just don't let <laughs> I mean I have a child so I can say this like I don't let her sit on it and eat spaghetti like right I, not to say she that, doesn't sit yeah. in front of the tv but we have like a different situation a towel goes down like she doesn't Throw it all over my yeah. vintage rug. Like she's different types floor. of food that she's okay to eat there instead. Well, she eats spaghetti in our living room, but not on the sofa. Oh and there's a towel under her on the rug. Like, I mean, you don't have to be gross. Like, you could still be a lazy parent. <laughs> well, and not I mean, yes, yeah, totally. stuff. I, I, I am right there with you. I have four girls, and oh we. I, I'm probably the biggest culprit. I have spilled red wine a few times. So, and coffee. So I'm, I'm probably not any better than they are, but yeah, let's, why are we putting lasagna and spaghetti on our furniture? That's kind of silly and get your feet off. I mean, respect the things that you invest in. That's just a whole other thing. Just respect it. 
even a even an entry level IKEA sofa mm-hmm. can still last a long time if we treat it right. You don't have to baby it, but you can still use it like a normal person, and you're just not going to be jumping on it and launching off the back of it, and I- you know even with more wallet-friendly, like value-engineered pieces, they can still work. It's just that you're not going to be able to mistreat them every day. And I don't think most furniture was never really made to be indestructible. It, it's not... It's just A not commercial meant for playground that. equipment? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's not really meant for that. But so that we almost have to shift our focus. For, you know, if a buyer is kind of imagining that thing, it's like, that type of furniture is going to not be really comfortable for you in the long run. And the look isn't going to be what you want because yeah, like it's, it's going to be built for the strength versus the comfort. And then we're just sitting on, you know, hard boards or like doctor's doctor's exam, exam chairs. Yeah. Like we're sitting on that kind of stuff, which it's like, that's not a comfortable home environment for most of, you know, our clients. That's not what they're imagining. Well, I mean, there are antiques that have survived, you know, generations and are yeah. still highly usable. And yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of Ikea. I really am. I think that yeah. there's a certain place for it. And I, I'm not going to turn my nose up at it. I think that the, that Ektorp sofa has been a classic for years for a good reason. So, yeah. I mean, you just really need to understand what it is you're dealing with and manage that expectation so that you know what you have. and and can work with that. Right. There's kind of that. a place for everything. There is a place. There is absolutely a place for everything. Unless it's like a really overpriced, overmarketed product that isn't matching price to value or to quality. We're not, we're not, we're not going to name names right now. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Bring it. Come on. Let's hear it. I thought you said it's this the was a spicy sofa. show. The it's the cloud sofa by oh, Restoration Hardware. Yes, that piece is a schlumpy piece of yes it is it's an unmade bed like if you want an unmade bed in your house living room then get it well and that's a matter of how it's constructed because it's made it's not made the same way as a traditional piece of upholstery and i think a lot of people who invest in that piece and that is not an inexpensive investment by the way no Um, but the people who invest in it don't realize that it is not constructed traditionally. So within the base of it, it's made, you're essentially sitting on a spring down cushion. So the structure of that is your spring down cushion. There's nothing underneath it to hold it and support it because that big base is Marshall Springs. And Marshall Springs is a very light gauge uh, coil wrapped spring that you often find inside of better constructed sofa cushions. Well, this whole thing is essentially a cushion without structure. And that's why it gets Mm -hmm. to be incredibly sloppy looking in a matter of, you know, three to six months, if even that long. And the bigger you are, the harder you are, because those things are so big and so deep that they really invite someone who is, you know, well over six feet because they think, oh, this is going to be so great. It's so deep. It's so cozy. Well, yes. just that body mass really is hard on that piece because it's not really designed for that kind of weight distribution. Right. Mm. So, and I'm a, yeah. And I'm a big boy. So I know like 
I know when the furniture is eating me alive. Like, <laughs> like I can't get any comfort because it's like there's no shape or no form. They have definitely learned how to market themselves as like the Land Rover of furniture. Like they have done that, but I don't. I'm just saying this is from anyone who I've ever known who's had a Land Rover, for example, has complained <laughs> about how it constantly is breaking and needs maintenance. Amazing. And it's like, it's beautiful. And that's the same thing with like RH is it's like, they're beautiful, but they're not, it's not really going to keep up with people the way they think it is. And they don't, it's a whole, I know we could go down a whole rabbit hole well, of just RH, but that's ultimately, not our show today. So. I mean, ultimately, I think what Rochelle helps with is just discerning that gap between price and quality. Like, it should be mm-hmm. pretty even. Like, you should be getting the quality that you're paying for. So, like, IKEA, it's a really great transaction. Like, it's the quality and the price are in line, where, like, RH, it's not way it's out not of line, in line and people don't realize it it's an aspirational um, brand i mean they've done an amazing job positioning themselves in the market that that mm-hmm. it's aspirational and so they've uh included a ticket price to you know to reflect that which more power to them as a company that they can do that but oh, yeah. i will say that most designers rue the day rue the day that the client yeah. says, "Oh, look at this! I really like this." No, no, you don't. You Let's like the photography. See what this looks like later, right? Yeah. You like the big gray mess of the way it's presented in the marketing mm-hmm. looks, but let's look at what this looks like in its, you know, natural habitat. Watch them in the showroom fluff that after one person mm-hmm. touches it. Watch how oh, yeah. many people in who work there have to make it look perfect again after one person touches it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's that's not how you're going to live. I'm not going to live like that. Like, I don't want my stuff to own me and tell me what I have to do every day. So excellent I think, point, Sean. Yeah. I think it resonates with clients to think about how much am I going to have to maintain this for the, is it worth it? Like if well, I'm Kim Kardashian like- and I have a staff, maybe. Like any kind of feather down cushion, like if people aren't up for the maintenance, like they need to know. Yeah. But they're um, so soft. They are soft. They are soft and luxurious and squishy and cozy, but not very supportive. Cozy, but you got to fluff. You got to fluff. Yeah. You got to beat them to lock those feathers back up. Yep. So what would you say are the like top, let's say two things you think new designers should know about upholstery? Like where should they start or what should Mm. they really know? Can I do three? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe three. Okay. So the first thing that popped into my head is to, is my favorite section in the course, which is the custom application part. Mm. And to be able to understand what the fabric is going to look like on the frame when it's applied, because you can look at a really great, you know, six inch by six inch piece of fabric that is sitting there in a two-dimensional shape. And then you want to apply it to a three-dimensional frame that's going to have Mm -hmm. curves and, and taper in and, and kind of bloom out. And how are those stripes going to look on that? Is this what is your expectation for a pattern matching? How is that pattern going to flow? Did you anticipate that the stripes that you've chosen will have to have a bias stripe on the welt if, if the piece you're looking mm-hmm. has a welt? And how does that look? Does that scatter your eyeball? And, and does that create the overall effect that you're after? So I think that's one of the biggest ones is that you understand 
the realities of what you're designing and visioning in your mind so that it doesn't come and at your receiver and you go, oh, did not expect that. So that's, I think, my favorite right. section in the entire entire course is the custom application fabric portion. But the next part is is really kind of teaching yourself as a designer how to communicate with your clients so that they don't feel like they have to have a sit test. Because as clients, especially clients that are coming to us from maybe they're used to the retail world and mm-hmm. maybe they're this is the first time they've ever worked with an interior designer. They don't exactly understand the concept that you can't sit in it first. And here's Mm -hmm. the reasons why you can't. And that's because we're going to create a custom piece exactly for you. So when you're working with an interior designer, it's the equivalent of going to a tailor and having a piece cut for you. Mm -hmm. You can't try it on because it's being crafted for you. Now, if you want something from pennies off the rack, you know, you're, you're going to have that total look, but if you were to sit somebody in a, in a penny suit next to one that is custom fit for your body, for your shape, for all your things, Mm -hmm. there is no comparison between the two. And Mm -hmm. most of our clients are accustomed to that penny suit. So it's really walking them through the, um, through the steps and, uh, understanding yourself so that you feel confident that you can express it to them. And then they in turn feel confident in you. So that's right. a course I'm working on with Luann that we're doing um, in an intensive this uh, November. And I think Luann University is open right now for enrollment. I think, I think, don't quote me on it, but I think. If it is, but we'll then, link it in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be really okay, cool. Awesome. But that is a different course from the Upholstery Uncovered, which has the fabric application I was mentioning before. And then, of course, the con- understanding the elements, the basic elements, frame, foundation, and cushions. Those are, those are key. Those are really, really, really key to understanding how they all function together. Because mm-hmm. one frame style mixed with a cushion style can create a different supportive system than than another one. So it's 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 mixing and matching your pieces together. And I hope that was clear on that. I felt like I rambled yeah. on that one a little bit. But no. Do you, do you recommend that designers just kind of, especially if you're new to this, start with one line and kind of get expert at it instead of bopping around to different companies? Well, I think you as a business owner, you always want to have your end goal to be stocking dealer. You want mm-hmm. to be able to have enough volume sales with um, a company that you feel loyal with, that you've created a relationship with. So in a roundabout way, I'm going to say, yes, one, that's a good idea. But is one company going to suit your all of your needs? I think it's a good idea to have three companies in your back mm-hmm. pocket. One that might be kind of a broad line so that it's going to be something that has accent pieces and, you know, dining chairs, and it's going to have occasional pieces like Ottomans and, you know, all of the things. So you want a broad line that is going to be able to, to fit a variety of needs. You want to have another line that's maybe a, um, either a quick ship or a graded in fabric, you know, or, or something that only has a couple of fabric options. And I'm thinking, Thinking is not necessarily specifically an only a upholstery line, but like Uttermost and Revelation, something like that. Fairly inexpensive bar stools, and they'll have fairly inexpensive ottomans. 
but you're going to get whatever fabric it is that's on them. And those pieces are going to be your entry-level trade pieces that you have to manage the expectation that this isn't going to last forever. It's a look right. for a price. But those bar stools are really cool because you can take something that is a graded in fabric or, or a, a married fabric that just is coming to you and you can take it to your local upholsterer and swap out that fabric. Mm-hmm. You know, a yard right. of fabric is going to really personalize that. So I really like having that as an option. And then a boutique line, something that's a little more high touch, a little more personalized, something that maybe you're going to even be talking to the owner as you process your order. So they might have the opportunity, the option to, to tweak a piece for you if you need something a little more customized. So I would, I always recommend those three as vendors to have under your belt. Do you consider that boutique line to be a little bit more like design forward as well? Or is it just the quality of the construction? Um, I'm going to say both, but also it depends on your client base. There are some designers who only do three over three. That's like a three loose cushion with a three loose back cushion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a real traditional style is, is what they prefer, but, and they just want something that's very stable and, and consistent but then there are designers who have very fashion forward clients and they want to marry the construction with something that's a little more unique. And I think of like Bruce Anders, when I think of something that's a little more fashion forward, he has beautiful lines, beautiful. In fact, I just got a Bruce Anders sofa and I love it. It's gorgeous. Did you get it in? I did. Just oh, moved I in. I've been sitting on it and I do have a big gray blanket over it because I have a big dog. And yes, my dog <laughs> does sit with me. Yes, yes, she does. But you can get your nice stuff and do that. And I think it's smart to advise designers of, okay, we're all going to have clients at different phases or maybe different price points, or maybe this is a secondary home. So they're not going to invest as much on something they'll only be on, you know, a few times every year. And to have that high and low mix that we we keep talking to a lot of our designers about, like, find those blends. Like, yeah, you could probably... relatively, you know, inexpensively choose to reupholster an existing bar stool and really give it a designer upgrade where it could feel like full custom by the time it's done. Mm -hmm. And that's how we kind of mix that with our clients. And I think for me, your course gave me the the language to be able to explain this to clients during the sales process of this is what you will like about this one. This is what you won't like about another. And, you know, I've worked on full custom for people, which is, of course, like really amazing when you can go from scratch. But I did not know all the stuff I didn't know. And I'm just taking recommendations from the upholsterer. And then now I look back at some of that and I'm like, Ugh, I could have done, I could have done a little bit more to make that piece even better if I had known what all my options were mm-hmm. or why I don't like one type of fill that they were using, you know, over another. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like a little bit more empowered to say, I think I'm going to like this better or we're going to do this for the client. So when it comes to if I have to spec full custom, not only do I know what the pros and cons are of those, but then I can take that back a level to broad lines that already exist and know what the pros and cons are going to be of those sort of made to order pieces where I can't customize as much, but at least I can prep 
Rebecca knows I love to prep clients on the what to expect. Like we spend so much time on the like, don't come to me later saying I didn't tell you this is was going <laughs> to be a thing because I don't want to have to have that conversation later. I want to have it now so they can make the decision, not Mr. Disclosure. I'm <laughs> I am the same about, way, like, Sean. Putting I'm it totally on an invoice, but like let's just talk. Like this piece fits here. The quality is going to fit here. The comfort's going to fit kind of around this area. It might be comparable to X, Y, or Z retail line that you have seen because they're made similarly. Like, I really want to illustrate the picture for them so they don't come back and go, oh, I had no idea. So w- when you were sharing about like custom applications, I'm like, this is why you have to know it because then you you can tell them this is expected, this is normal. And I think so much of our confidence as designers we recently had an episode about client dissatisfaction. It's like, this is the one of the ways to avoid that is really illustrate for them how it's going to be. So they feel like we were their advocate. We were helping them make the decisions and feel really confident with them. Right, right. You're managing that expectation. And really, we're we're just kind of facilitating their dream. Uh, we're putting mm-hmm. our vision on it and our stamp on it. But our clients have been in their homes for a period of time and they know how they want to live and they can't express it. And they Mm -hmm. want to have a beautiful home that suits them, looks like them, but comes through our filter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our own rose-colored glasses. And hopefully better than they could have imagined because they can't dream that big. Exactly, exactly. Because we hear the things that they don't say. You know, they can rattle off all the things that they that they like or maybe don't like, but it's it's up to us to put those things together and say, well, you know, you, you know, you said you liked like open sh- open shelves, open shelves. Mm-hmm. Let me just go with this right now. <laughs> this is, has been my <laughs> my pet peeve lately. Open shelf concept kitchens are gorgeous in glossy magazines and wherever mm-hmm. else, but real life. Come on now. I'm going to tell you what, that flapjack box is not attractive. Where are we going to do uh-huh. with all of those things? That, Where's your you know? ugly kitchen? Right. Where, where are you putting the ugly stuff? For real. And <laughs> you have to, to have the, storage for it. Yeah. And stacking your, your dishes that high all the time. My, my bowls are chipped. You stack them more than two and you're going to chip the edges of your bowls. So mm-hmm. did you think about the fact that you're going to blow through dishes? Yeah. Yeah. Or just like how often are you going to be turning the stuff that's up there to make sure it's not getting dust or grease or oils or hair? If you Uh, have pets, like if you're not turning through the mm -hmm. stuff that often, Mm -hmm. you don't need that. You don't want them out that often. Um, Yeah. I'm aligned with you on this. I know this isn't an upholstery thing. There's nice. No, I I know. But we were, you know, if you're going down the rabbit hole of of designer pet peeves, that's going to be one of them. I love that. There we go. Well, it's, yeah, we have to know the lifestyle and what the reality is going to be after we shoot our final photo. Mm-hmm. I have open shelves, a lot of them in my kitchen, but I also have a huge, it's a weirdly large kitchen with a lot of storage. So there is not a sippy cup. It's only high turnover <laughs> stuff on there that we use all the time. And it's been okay. You have but a big I, pantry too. Like well, yeah, all that stuff exactly. can get put away. And that's where the pantry lets, we're not taking pictures in there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm always, it's yeah. It's not a home edit pantry. 
But other clients, like I, you can see how your clients live realistically day to day. And we're not doing that for those right. folks that have like needs yes. that need to be, they need doors that close. Doors that close. No glass shelves, no glass doors. Doors no. that are solid that you don't see through. But yeah, it's, it's always yeah. all about managing that expectation and talking through lifestyle and, and whether it's your kitchen shelves or your sofa and your pillows that you might nap on and potentially drool on. You know, people need to know about. <laughs> they do. I want to talk quickly or a little bit about vintage furniture. Oh, I love vintage furniture. Yes. We all share a love of vintage and I've been yes. dipping my toes into it a little bit more when it comes to upholstery. Like case goods are easy, but the upholstery has been scary for me. I but your class does help because that's where we see like the like I have a pair of baker chairs that I got on marketplace that have the most hideous fabric you've ever seen on them. And I'm going to redo them soon because they're the most comfortable chairs and they're 65 years old. But what are your thoughts? Like if you can't quite figure out the brand name that you know has like a legacy with it, how, how do people quickly figure, do you have like tips for finding quality vintage? Okay, so are, are we speaking of, and congratulations, Vintage Baker's lovely. So you can look on places like Cherish and First Dibs and, and you know, even eBay and Etsy, Etsy to find out the, um, the pedigree of, dirt, mm-hmm. of different pieces, if you can find a tag of some sort. But if you can't find a tag of some sort, then you need to kind of be able to identify by looking at a piece what it's constructed of. Now, just because it's old doesn't mean that it's going to be exceptionally well made. And there are some things to think about that's important because one of the things that I love about upholstery construction is the time periods of experimentation. So there were times that people were really cranking out fast furniture in the 50s to try to make furniture interesting for and and accessible for all of our soldiers coming home, setting up families. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the first level of our fast furniture. Now, some of those people pieces have lasted and some of them haven't. And maybe you've inherited a piece from the 40s or whatever from your grandparents and it has more sentimental value than the fact that it may not be exceptionally well constructed. But how do you resolve having those pieces done and who do you turn to and trust with these pieces to bring them a new life? And that's really kind of the biggest question I get from designers is, is this worth it? And who do I trust Mm -hmm. with this piece? So you really want to make sure that the company that you're working with is well-versed in vintage restoration. And what that could potentially involve is not only touching up the wood because the wood is going to be marred and it might need, you know, it may not need completely stripped and refinished, but you definitely need to be able to, uh, make that wood look fresh and clean and new. But um, if you have an older piece, like one of those long four-seater mid-century modern pieces that is made Mm. with um, solid lumber and it has a sinuous spring construction, which is the S-springs that go back and forth, back and forth. And one of the things I saw repeatedly on mid-century modern pieces was that that front rail would bow inward 
and would get all pulled out of square and whack. And you need to be able to have mm. a company that can knock out that front rail and replace that front rail so mm. that they can remove that bowing for it. So somebody who's just going to recover something, you probably don't want to invest in recovering of something where the frame needs attention. You need to work with someone who can fix that for you. Did that answer your question or did I open up a bigger can I of worms? I think so. Well, always more can of worms. I'm always ready for more. <laughs> I so like I'm I've been hesitant on some of my projects, partly because it does add up. Like I've been lucky to get a lot of my furniture that I'm looking at pretty inexpensively. So like going to cherish <laughs> or first dibs where you also like pay for that piece and then pay probably twice as much to get it reupholstered mm-hmm. is has been hard but i guess i'm i that makes sense cuz i do feel like i need a good i want a good partner like i want someone who's going to deconstruct it like rip it open come have me back like let's decide like how much of this needs to get replaced like what's not working with it anymore so that's something that's important right we like we need to see it once it's naked again right well, as a as a designer, it's important for you to have a really positive working relationship with your upholstery workroom. And yeah. you know, when you're going through and you're setting up an account with them and, and you know, you want to meet them, you want to maybe set up a, a time, can I bring you some coffee? I want to understand what your processes are, how you work with a mm-hmm. designer. Um, and do not ask for a discount up front. Do not ask for a trade discount upfront. That's just not a way to kick off a happy working relationship with a trade professional. But you want to understand what their standards are. Do they pick up? Do they deliver? What is their standard cushion? And if you aren't able to say, I want this instead, then you could just say, you could just bring them to your, your baker chair and maybe they always do well up the roll or maybe they just by standard do the well on the bias and you don't want that on the bias and there's a place where it doesn't have to be on the bias. You need to be able to identify the piece, say to them, here's my preference for how this is put together and do you see any issues with what I'm I'm wanting. So you just have a really mm-hmm. positive, educated experience with them. And they might call you for things like broken rails, you know, different things that they find, just like plumbing. You don't know what you don't know until you pull it apart and you can see it. Right. But they're going to call you and say, you know, I anticipate three hours bench time. That might be an additional expense. But for the most part, you can tell that yourself when you learn a little bit about upholstery there's very rarely going to be a huge boo-boo. Okay. I mean, you you can tell if a piece is broken. Right. You can feel it for sure. Yeah, it wobbles, it shakes, it feels... Right, you might not feel it. It feels insecure. But but there are ways to kind of splint that up. Okay. I think going into vintage is like into the, it's the, into the unknown. I have clients who are like, oh, couldn't we save money if we go vintage? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, let's not focus on saving money versus saving a piece that you really think is great or that you, you really love the shape or the history of it. Like, let's not talk Mm -hmm. about it's going to save money because it's really not going to save money. It's not going to save money unless it's already in amazing condition and someone doesn't know what they have and they're like giving it away but 
reupholstering it, the fabric, the labor, all of that. Like that. Let's not talk about saving money because yeah. I think we've fooled ourselves by thinking of like the Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace of it all, where it's like, well. I think most people who are doing that aren't necessarily all at-home reupholsterers. So it's not really going to save money unless you can DIY a lot of that energy yourself. Well, in vintage, doing it right is not a DIY. This is someone who has spent years honing their skill. Mm -hmm. And to think that it's going to be cheaper to do that that way is really kind of a smack in the face to the hours that they've spent getting better at their trade to be able to really make a vintage piece shine again, because that's a higher mm-hmm. skill set than just recovering an armchair. If you want to just, you know, recover an armchair, that labor may be a little bit less expensive because only because there are going to be more hobbyists that are fresh business people, or you might know somebody who knows somebody that can recover it for you. But yeah. then, of course, you want to make sure you have an opportunity to see, you know, their finished work. But if a piece and 90% of your vintage pieces are going to need some sort of restoration, it, bare bones, they're going to need new cushions. Absolutely, unequivocally, you need new cushions. They all, do you think they all need new cushions? I would say that they're going to, most all of them do. If they are a cotton-wrapped inner Marshall spring, then you can kind of rewrap them and put them back together. But if it's foam, yeah, you need new cushions. If it's latex, like my bakers are down. My bakers are down. If they're hundred percent down, you're going to want to have those opened up and down added to it because down does deteriorate and break down. So you're going to want to have those channels opened up and supplemented. Yeah. They're getting flat. Okay. They get crushed over time and yeah, well, it, it starting... just deteriorates. It's like hair. It breaks down and degrades. 65 yeah, years was a pretty good run. <laughs> yeah, no, they are doing good. Yeah, I'm going to start with some dining chairs that have some little panels and use that as a little bit of an interview process and work up, like start a working relationship with somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's exciting. You know- it's it's a whole it's a whole new world because we see designers out there who are doing this with it, but they have to know how to spot great pieces, know that they can they can see the vision of what the piece can be, and then also feel confident that like oh maybe I have to hold these for a little while yeah, before I can sell them. It's a whole business you have to in start and of itself. Storing. Yeah, and there's I mean I have a storage unit two hundred fifty dollars a month, and by the time you start going okay, what's the hold cost on this? And mm-hmm. uh, then you're thinking about factoring that into into a project. And will I ever have a client that I can use this piece on? Yeah, that you have to have a bit of a problem, personal problem <laughs> to, to have a storage <laughs> it unit. Is, yeah. The storage unit for, is yeah. saving my marriage, though. Well, it's true. <laughs> I, out I of sight, out of mind. Yep, yep. Chairs. It's it's truly an addiction. I will be walking down the street. I have one in my garage right now that I saw down the street at the neighbors. And here I come schlepping it down the hill. And my husband looked at me like, what are we doing here? Where are we putting that? You're not putting that in the house. But it's so cool. But you still did it. I did. It's (laughs) sitting there and it'll probably sit there for another year. Someday. It's, you know, we just can't quit it because we do like 
there's something about the character and the charm and the history of some of these older pieces that it's just so hard to look away from. And they add so much credibility when you're doing design and you're adding a lot of new pieces. There's nothing like kind of raising the total Mm -hmm. credibility of a room with this one really great piece that has a story, has a background, but it's also a philosophy that you want to use to attract the right people towards you who will be eager to jump in that storage unit with you and find a cool piece or they want it too. So it's, it is a waiting game and it's a whole other part of business. My hope would be that designers who are listening can feel like more confident making those decisions of, is this piece worth it? Can I afford to hang on to it? You know, does this make sense to invest in or not? And then also like, I think something that we started thinking about both Rebecca and I after your course is thinking about once we do, like if you had this vintage piece and you did reupholster it or had it done, what is that perspective sales price going to be? And then does that align with who we think our clients are going to be too? Because that could make the difference of us keeping it or not, because we might it might be just too far out of range for our normal clientele. And we know we're never going to get in, into their homes, you know, in a price range that most of them feel comfortable with. And I think that's an exercise every designer would have to do kind of on their own is looking at their clients, looking at what they're willing to invest in. I'm going to turn that on its head just a little bit and have you reframe that thought process. So if you as a designer are able to scope out and find those really special pieces that you know are going to make your client's room sing, and bring that little extra something that they would never see or find on their own. I don't think that the question is, is this client going to pay for it? Because you're creating magic in a room. And I'm I'm a big proponent of a bottom line price as opposed to itemizing out each Mm. individual piece within a room when you're making a presentation. Because listen, we all know that that $300 custom pillow is what's going to make the room. But do my clients want to know that that pillow costs $300? (laughs) I mean, really. I mean, really. Let's think about it. They're like, oh, I just can't justify that. No, they can't. But we have to have a margin on the products that we are representing. Because if we don't have that margin, we can't keep our roof over our head. So mm-hmm. for starters, we have to really embrace the fact that we are a traditional business. Put on your big girl panties, big girl business panties, and embrace yes. the profit. Because without that profit, it is a hobby. We have learned mm-hmm. to devalue our skill, devalue ourselves. But if we're someone who can see that vintage piece across the road and schlep that baby home, That is the secret sauce that nobody else has Mm -hmm. the ability to do. And there's value in it. So I just, I just really want people to embrace their special skill in vision Mm -hmm. and there's a value for it, but there's also a way to present it to our clients so that they understand that they are getting the entire entirety of the magic. Mm -hmm. Here's another little analogy. I'm huge on analogies. So. You get your grandma's recipe for lasagna, right? And you're starting to make it and she, you don't have ricotta. So, hey, let's swap out ricotta for cottage cheese. And (laughs) you are not grating out that fresh Parmesan. You're getting that stuff that comes in a little can. Should you 
expect that to taste like grandma's. No, you can't. So once you start, you're selling the entire project to your client. You can't Mm -hmm. swap out certain key elements and expect to have the same finished product at the end. So I think that we really need to move away from itemization in presentations and into here's the, I'm not going to use the word package because this is not a package. But here is the entirety of your magical space. You know, however you want to holistic, you know, fireworks are going off all the things, Hmm. but you're creating an ambiance and, and, and a space for them that encompasses what they want. And here's the price for that space. Yeah. I like that. Here's grandma's lasagna. Here's grandma's lasagna. And we don't want to know all the ingredient breakdowns because it's a lot. And I think that also gets me out of my, the way sometimes because when I'm starting to pick pillows, I'm like, my maybe my money story gets into the works mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. figuring out how I'm going to sell them this $300 pillow times five. <laughs> yeah. And they gave me the bottom line budget. So why am I even doing that? Right. Like, it's just a mess. Right. Okay. So our job isn't to help our clients save money. Our job is to help them help facilitate their dream within the dollar amount that they have agreed to achieve that dream. And we can have conversations with them and say, you know, I, I appreciate that this is the budget that you're looking at. And in order to achieve this budget, we're going to have to make these compromises. Now, here's why I think that this might not be a good compromise to make here. Can we shift uh, this budget a little bit to make it bigger over here? Is, is there anything more? Or, you know, I'm happy to design this space and we just need to understand that this piece is going to need to be replaced in three years. Are you comfortable with that? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. allowing them to make the decisions on the longevity but, you know, if they're coming to us with a budget, is that budget truly their budget? And if they understood that the pieces are not going to not going to last as long as they anticipate lasting. Sorry, I was clumsy getting yeah. all of that out. But No, and, I'm here for all of that analogy. When you were talking earlier about profit, that also just made me want to encourage our listeners. I've heard a lot of designers are really hesitant to get into selling upholstery and it is a huge profit center for my business. It is a huge profit center. And so if you don't have that, like you're missing a lot of money. You're missing a lot. It's a key element in, in operating your business because how can you create a custom space for someone that you're customizing the art, you're customizing the pillows, you're customizing the window treatments, but you're going off the rack for your sofa. Why? Mm-hmm. Why are you cutting yourself short as a professional? And if you, as a professional, and granted, there are jobs when you're maybe just uh, doing a space plan, you know, you're just saying, okay, we need an 86 inch sofa here, go forth, find something. And I totally, as a professional, would not try to work with a retail space that was going to offer me 10 to 20% off on something. No. Um, And take that as, as a responsibility on myself because you will eat up that 10, 20% margin in managing your client 
Every time. Guaranteed. Every time. Every time, especially the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just going to lose it. The hours that you translate that 10 to 20% to, it's like, you know, 40 minutes worth of problem resolution mm-hmm. or something. Like it's nothing. Yeah. It's, and clients it's can never get that themselves. Like, they can. If, and then let them deal with it. Yeah. They can. And if you were do, just doing a space plan, but you know, so many of the retail stores offer, you know, air quotes free design air quotes, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're yeah. creating a design that is not layered and dimensional. They're creating something that is mix and match from their catalog repertoire. Right. Because their, their motivation is to also sell their stuff yeah, and to like absolutely. get you into something. So they have a well, sales, sales motivation people. just like we do, right, but right. there's a, they don't care about the overall look, feel, design, function. Nope, like, nope. They want to get that piece out the door and hit the store's daily sales goal or help them get a commission. Like, yeah. They're really focused on that. And very often there are a lot of people don't realize if they haven't worked in the in a furniture store that they're spiffs. Let me tell you about spiffs. So if you're a client walking in the front door and you need, I don't know, the a lounge chair today. Well, if that furniture store is offering a spiff on a particular vendor, and that means an additional $100, $150 in that salesperson's pocket. Do you think they're going to mm. show you something else? I don't mm. think so. It doesn't no, work they're that trying way. To, they're trying to support themselves. They're supporting themselves. They're working on their own sales goals. They are really, I mean, I've worked in the furniture business and spiffs are yeah. how you make your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you did the same amount of work, but got more mm-hmm. for it. Yep. But they're yep. not having a long-term relationship with the nope. client, which we it's are. So we burn. want them to be happy. Well, I, yeah. So I think it's really important for every designer to just figure out what it is that's stopping you from selling upholstery. If you're scared, we have resources for you. Rochelle does. I sure do. Tell, can you <laughs> tell us a little bit more about, because I know you've been growing your program a lot. Um, I started, so here's how I started the program. I think it's kind of a fun, interesting backstory. So I was asked by a designer friend of mine who posted in a Facebook group uh, or responded to a a question in a Facebook group. Somebody said, Hey, I want to learn more about upholstery. Who do you know? Well, my friend Colleen tagged me and said, Rochelle, what do you have? And I said, well, I don't have anything put together right now (laughs) that's formal, but I can do it. So I put together the beta course and had a a really amazing turnout for the beta course. And all those wonderful first students helped me really hone the the program to where it is now. Well, it used to be a six-week course that was offered three times a year. And as I'm evolving, I decided that it is probably best that it be on a digital download. So when you sign up for the course, you go into the student member area. Everything is available to you right there immediately. I do suggest you go through the course you know, in a logical manner, the way it's presented. There's a free student Facebook group and we have a monthly uh, Q&A Zoom so that you can ask any questions that you need. Um, And of course Mm -hmm. the handbook comes with it, but um, it's upholstery uncovered and it can be found on my website, which is rlpinteriors.com. And um, it's just under the upholstery uncovered tab. And it, it, it's a really great 101 course. And I would say it's probably 
101 and 201 because I've had designers with 30 plus years experience that have said, hey, I did not know this. I've been in this industry forever and did not know these this bit of information. Yeah, and I'm in the Facebook group and it's just on, it's like a lot of ongoing conversations, a lot of like, I feel like kind of some of the members do these little pop quizzes, not in a serious way, but just they see a piece of upholstery. Can you like find the thing that's wrong with it? Or you know, I have to tell you, I saw somebody post something on their, was it, I don't know if it was Instagram or what it was. And I saw, it's like your cushion's upside down. And I thought, oh, I can't, I can't comment. Hey, your cushion's upside down. Do I DM them? Because they were bringing everything in and fluffing it. And I think they were getting ready for professional photography. I mm. thought, ooh, oh, yeah. ooh, it's kind of like the equivalent of telling somebody they've got spinach in their teeth. Yeah, but you want to know. Yeah. You want to know, but there's not a fun way to catch it, especially if it was after the photos were taken. Then you're I, like, well, yeah. now it's too late. You yeah. can't fix it. But exactly. I felt it's, really it's a really active group. Are you still doing consulting too? I do. I offer consulting. So I have a one hour, one-to-one project consulting. So I've helped several designers with individual projects from working with uh, vintage pieces, reupholstery. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done window treatment consultations, you know, fabric one-on-ones. I've even helped with POs. And then I've helped with client who ordered something. It came in wrong. She couldn't figure out why, because she said the PO showed this. And so I helped, I helped her, I helped save her $10,000 on an order that she was going to have to eat because it came in differently, but the vendor said, no, this is the way it is. So I did a little digging and found out, nope, that's not it. And they had to replace the piece, saved her $10,000. Yeah, yeah, I feel like well based on our sure. like we've booked um we've booked a consult with you for our showroom next door to get help with marketing, which is really helpful. But now I'm thinking like if I ever want to like really invest in reupholstering one of my vintage sofas, like I really would want to do it in a fun pattern, but I'd be nervous that I'd mess it up. So it's an we'll investment. I mean, you're looking that. at you know 15 yards of fabric. That's that's not inexpensive. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's really helpful to know that I can get your input you get and confidence. make sure I write it up right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so. it's it's more for anyone who has a one-to-one uh, project-specific concern, question, issue, but the Q&As in the Facebook group is for anything open on the content. So, I mean, if you've taken the class and you need some clarification about something or you're just out in the field and you're like, hey, what did Rochelle say about this? Or what was the conversation about that? Just post it in the Facebook group or bring it to the Q&A and I'm happy to go over it. There's, you know, obviously no extra fee for that. It's just like office hours. And I'm more um, active in the school months than I am in the summer. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm laying at the pool. <laughs> in the Good summer. I really am. Yes. And then Luann University is coming up. Mm-hmm. That's going to be in November. And that is the title on it is how to close more upholstered sales without the sit test. And it's going to be really interesting because it's going to be very hands-on intensive where we're going to be doing some uh, measuring. You're going to take measures. We're going to get on the floor and start 
figuring out the ergonomics of a piece so that if you understand how your client uses it, what they have in mind and the, um, the shape and the measurements, that piece will basically design itself. So you don't have to look at like a hundred some frames and go, well, will this work? No, you really are flowing it down and coming up with exactly what that piece is going to look like. Awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to make sure that we end up with your website for Upholstery Uncovered, which is the self-paced course and the Luann University course in our show notes. So all the hotties can find it and get to it as they're listening to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Sean. Awesome. Well, we've uncovered well, a lot of upholstery. <laughs> Rebecca got Rebecca got a consult out of this too, and so did all the <laughs> all the listeners because they get to find out like, ooh, what do I need to know? Because truly, yeah, the 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 money, the time, the energy that we invest in this makes the projects better. It makes more profitability for our businesses, but it really is. It's sort of like, well, everyone's gonna gonna buy this, like. People are buying sofas. They're not just going to sit on cardboard boxes their whole life. So it's already going to end up in a project one way or another. I feel like it's our missed opportunity if we don't capitalize on mm-hmm. our knowledge, our expertise, and help them see what they're getting. So right. I'm stoked get to get, and you get would more like- of our hotties focused on it. Well, I would love to invite any of the hotties to come join. And I mean, your ROI on this, you'll find, you'll recoup your class course fee in one purchase, one client, yeah, one sale, yes. one sale will do it. Yeah. And still make money and still make money. Yeah. 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 I've tried to keep Guaranteed. it, you know, approachable for most people, even though it's, it's 10 hours, it's 10 hours worth of course content. The new self-paced port- portion makes it easy because it does break down into segments, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So you can really digest and, and, you know, take these things in as you're learning them, have a chance to test your knowledge our ask follow-ups in the Facebook group. So it makes it you know, a little bit easier that you could fit it into sort of your day-to-day work of, okay, let me do my own continuing education here, pop in my time on these and divide them up so that way it's easy to, to get through them. Well, I'm glad awesome. you pulled into the membership area and looked at it. Oh, I'm... <laughs> We're getting ready for our showroom too. So it's um, we're waiting on pieces to arrive um, maybe October. So when those get here, it just makes it that much easier to understand how we're going, you know, how do we position ourselves? What are the selling points? What do we need to make sure we have in our quick reference guides internally of what are the most common things that we are anticipating are going to be asked? And so we have our answers ready to go on what's so special about this cushion? What What's so special about this type of frame? I think the more at the ready those answers are, it shows our clients that we have the confidence with this, that this isn't just... I mean, even though I am learning it real time, it's we have the answer. We already know, or we know how to get the answer for them. And I think that gives them the confidence to make those bigger purchases because these are larger ticket pieces. Right. So we want to feel 100% like we've got you covered. We've thought this out. It's still not much more than uh, two years of a, of a cell phone though. I've- <laughs> Yeah. You're Just buying them for your whole family and getting their cell phone. You're buying a couple of cell phones. It's, that's all you're doing. They're going to last longer. Yep. Don't overthink it. It's Don't just a few cell phones. <laughs> Way more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. 
Michelle, thank you so much for being on today. We really loved having you. I am so happy to be here, part of that hottie young designer club. And and I appreciate <laughs> having you guys. And it was so neat to meet you in the vintage section of the at Market High Point. It was like, oh, Hey, oh yeah, I know. Hey. In the wild. <laughs> Out in the wild looking at uh, vintage upholstery. That's my favorite place of the entire pipeline. I love it. So cool. I think we spent most of our time in vintage and antique during that market, which was, I mean, well spent because it's so, so inspiring too on top of it. It is. It's beautiful. Thank so. you for having Thank me. You, Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you. And until next time, stay hot, designers. Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 